There are notes out in the foyer if you want to grab them uh, today before you go. I enjoy using notes as well as doing stuff up on the uh, PowerPoint because we all learn differently. When uh, Pastor Sam called me on this one, I must admit that when you read through the Psalms, and I try and read one a day, I try and read a proverb. We went through Proverbs earlier. Try and read a proverb a day, try and read a Psalm a day. You do get to that point where you're looking in Psalms and you're wondering, why did they put it together this way? There's 150 of these. Why are they slotted? When you get to this point about the Psalms of Ascent, having those 15 Psalms here that have to do with our journey and what helps us in our journey with the Lord is kind of cool. As I did a little background on that one, I found that there's, of these 15 Psalms, there's seven on one side, there's one in the middle, which is the one we're going to study today, and there's seven on the other side. <clears throat> on each of those seven, two of those Psalms are written by David, uh, five are anonymous. Solomon wrote the Psalm we're in this morning, then you go on the other seven, there's two that are written by David and five are anonymous. So interesting thing, finding our way into the middle of the Psalms of Ascent here. Has it been an enjoyable series for you to do, Sam? Do you feel like the Lord's meeting you personally, even as you're sharing this? That's always good. When a sermon moves me personally, it's like, oh, I might want to share this with someone else. I feel that way today too. So if you have your Bibles there, you can grab your Psalm 127, and we'll look at that. Not very long. In fact, it makes a few different points. And if, if you're on an ascent, which we all are, I loved what someone said earlier today, that to get somewhere, you have to leave where you are. <clears throat> the older I get, the more difficult it is for me to get ready to leave. Is there anyone else like that? Good grief, I've got to go somewhere. I've got to start now thinking about where I'm going to go because of all the things I have to do to get there. Ladies, you probably understand that, for, but for guys, it's taken me a long time to figure out hair, nose, nose hairs, clothes, belts, phone, phone charged, glasses, where are they, watch, uh, watch charged. There's all these different things you have to do before you leave. And these things that Solomon talks about, critical issues, but kind of interesting in terms of thinking if we're on this journey, which I think is ultimately heaven, New Jerusalem, God preparing this place for us for thousands of years, this journey we're on, there's critical factors along the way, there's critical attitudes along the way. There'll be four things that Solomon brings up today that are critical as we're on our ascent. So here we go, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the, the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain, you rise early, stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. 
So four basic things Solomon brings up. And Solomon's written an awful lot in the Bible. He can be a little expansive on his words. But on this psalm, clipped, short, to the point, this is what I want to say. Something about a house, something about your city, something about sleep, and something about your kids. So we're doing some fill-ins here. Unless the Lord bids your house, it's builders labor in vain. Build your life carefully using the very best materials. Build your life carefully using the very best materials. I don't think building carefully means slowly. I don't think it means trepidatiously, fearfully. It's just, I'm going to build it right. When you're working on something, I did a, uh, of course I bought it at Costco, but I did a uh, storage unit last summer. Bought one of those ones, like 700 bucks, and has a nice door and a little plastic window up there. And I wanted to get that thing up, so I took it apart. Bad move. Don't take things apart until you're ready to put them up. So I took them apart and made sure all the parts were there. Of course they were there. And then I'm like, I guess now I have to figure out where I'm going to put it after I've taken it apart. So I go over to the corner of our property, and I look there, and I brought a friend over, and he says, well, you can, you can build this wooden thing, and we can probably do that in a couple hours. I'm like, ah, I just don't think that's good enough foundation. He says, yeah, well, that other way takes a long time. I'm like, I know it does take a long time. So you, you know what you have to do? You have to go down like six or eight inches. You ever done this? You have to go down like six or eight inches, and you have to get this thing out at least for the size of it, if not larger. And I wanted a little larger to step into this little thing. And then you have to put sand down in there, and then you have to put rock there, and then kind of put the sand over the rock so you get this kind of base that you're at. And then you put pavers, and I got these large pavers, and then you have to level them. Oh, and our property's going down, so I have to level this and then bring it down and level it. And it's like all the work was in the foundation. Putting the thing up was like four or five hours. But I took days getting the foundation right. I wanted to do it quickly, and I had it, and it was ready, but it rains in Oregon, and stuff happens in Oregon, and you have no foundation, we've got an issue. And I think sometimes our culture is like, just do it quick. Just, just make the decision on your car. That person loves you, love them back, get married, love the one you're with. You know, all these things that we do quickly, and then you find out later, oh my goodness, they, maybe I could have taken time to do this more carefully. Well, certainly, that's what Solomon's saying. Certainly, he says that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, when I was looking through the New Testament on the idea of building, there was this one passage that came up that used the term build, 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 build again and again. See if you remember this. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he... For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus. So one of the reasons I like Alpha is they focus on Jesus, the person of Jesus, 
Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus who was raised from the dead, Jesus who's coming back. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because, everyone say, the day. The day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and that fire will twist the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I kind of picture that person jumping through this and looking back and like, oh, I made it, but not much of what I did made it. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred and you're that temple. The idea is that we are working for God to build through our lives things that last and will pass through the fire and be rewardable. And this is Solomon thousands of years ago saying, unless the Lord builds that house, you labor in vain. So I want to build my house on the things that matter. I want to build my house on relationships that matter. Sam, so special to have breakfast with you this week. Friendship, right? I must admit, I looked over and I'm like, I don't know if I've ever noticed that you had a tooth missing there. <laughs> And then before I can, oh, by the way, I, yeah, I get it, I get it. And I've lived with a wife who kind of has gone through that whole thing and had the implants and everything. So, hey, you're a good-looking guy, whether you have teeth or not. We love you. <laughs> you. You think he looks cool? And you're the one who matters. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. Judy, do you remember that time that uh, our dentist, Bob Kuva, was working on your implants, and he called me into the office and said, hey, Reese, look at this. And Judy smiles, and she has these two pegs coming down from her. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So the things that matter, relationships, Jesus, the Word of God, we build with those things. Probably one of the most challenging times in my life in the last few years was an event that happened, and it makes me think about this passage, where we were headed up to see our kids in Lethbridge, Alberta. We have a son, daughter-in-law, three kids up there. It was 2021, COVID was in full force, and you're going to cross from nation to nation, and there's a boundary there, obviously. And so we had our passports, we stopped at this place in North Portland where you could get your, yeah. What, in the North Port, this is my wife, Judy. Of course, you all said good morning a moment ago. What did we do in that place where we stopped in North Portland? Um, and we want to be right here at the camera. Yeah. Uh, we, of course, uh, could not get to Canada for quite a while, so we didn't see our kids for like two and a half years, which was torture. And... To get to Canada, after they opened the border, you had to have the um, vaccination. So we knew that was coming, so we had done that. And <laughs> we had jumped through all the hoops, of which there were many, after they opened the border. And 
you had to have a 24-hour COVID test that was negative. You had to go to a place, get verified, and get it on your shot record. You had to enter all your information onto this website that turned out we didn't know about. And so um, then you had to have proof of your vaccination. So all these things, you know, we thought we were all ready and all together, and we drive up to the King's Gate um, border crossing, and I couldn't find my shot record. It was nowhere in my belongings. And we had forgotten to download the stuff into the record online. Well, we didn't know about it, so that was, that was like, oh, oh no. So, I mean... Enter Canada. Enter Canada, yeah, whatever it was. And so we get to the guy, and he's like, okay, he goes, I think you should just go around this corner and go left over here and uh, work this out, and then you can come through later on. So we go left, and we didn't see anywhere except this one little parking space to, to pull in at. Well, what he meant in his kind Canadian way was, go back across the border and work it out over there before you come through. So we pull over into this spot where we're not supposed to be. And next thing we know, there's armed guards with, you know, hands on their guns. And we're like, what did we do? You know? Yeah. And um, so Reese gets on the phone. He has a friend from Costco who has our shot information. I mean, it took us a long time to figure out to reach her. And in the meantime, we're getting all this pressure. You know, you shouldn't be here. You know, we're going to give you 15 more minutes and blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the issue was that if we had waited, we would have had to go through the whole vaccination process again, the testing again, because our time would have run out. The, so we were... On the 24-hour deal. Yeah, on the 24-hour deal. And so we were really stressing. And when you have people with their hands here and you're like, what are we doing? And they're telling you how stupid you are. Really, they were. It was very embarrassing. And anyway, you take it from there. Yeah, and it was, it was probably, I mean, funny as it is, that was probably the most stressful hour. For you. Yeah, oh, it was tough for you. Childbirth was harder. Okay, there it is. In the last, in the last couple of years, for me, trumped. Boom. As we were driving from that over the bridge, heading north, I was so pressed that I could feel my pulse. I could, <clears throat> I was nervous still. I was sweaty. There was this issue that Judy had forgotten her shot record card. We called back. The lady couldn't find it. Can you take a picture? She couldn't find it ended up finding this lady connected with the pharmacy on a Sunday. All this was happening on a Sunday afternoon. And part of me was, why couldn't you have just made sure you had the shot record card? But that wasn't going to go anywhere well <laughs> at that point. But it was there, right? So we finally get over this bridge, and we're going up. And I'm like, wow, how did we... How did we make it through that without having to go back across the border, lose our 24-hour thing, have to get a hotel room, find someone there, get the COVID test, we're going to lose a day or two with our kids. How do we get through that? And we had stopped to pray, just kind of under our breath there before they kept these guards coming out with hands on their weapons saying, we don't want you here, you need to go back over. 
And the reason I bring that up is because by the grace of God, our marriage had been built with the kind of stuff that allowed us to get through that. Instead of this being the worst argument we've ever had, which it could have been, it becomes something we're able to say that, well, God got us through that, we were together, we made it through, and now we kind of chuckle most of the time about that particular story <laughs> as we come back through. So when God builds the house, it's going to stand. And when you use the stuff in your marriage, in your business, in your schedule, in your day, at your job, with your house, and you're building the right foundation, it's worthwhile. Amen. Number two, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. The fill-in is pray for the city you live in. Jeremiah 29, 7 says, if it prospers, you too will prosper. I don't get people that complain about their city, complain about their county, complain about their country, complain about that, but don't pray. I don't get that piece because we have more of an apt possibility of getting what we complain about and that happening if we don't pray than if we choose to pray and say, Lord, bless our city, bless our country, raise up godly leaders, do this stuff, that's better than complaining, don't you think? Yeah, that's better. I think the enemy wants us to just follow that, and there's always something to complain. If you're on the left, you can complain about the right. If you're on the right, you can complain about the left, but everybody complains. It's tough to watch news anymore, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, because they leave with like, this bad, this bad, this bad, this bad, this bad. Oh, we better show one good thing, so let's have a fun dog story at the end of your... You've seen it. We better throw that in because it's all negative. Gosh, it's tough. So Solomon, in vain you, you uh, unless the Lord watches over the city, watchmen stand guard in vain. So pray for the city. If it prospers, and this is Jeremiah speaking to God's people, Jeremiah 29, as they're in exile, if it prospers, you too will prosper. Paul says it in 1 Timothy 2, pray for your leaders, pray that you might live a peaceful life, that we might all come to Christ, which is God's will in Christ Jesus. And then, Pastor Sam, as you've gone through this, there in Psalm 122, one of those Psalms of Ascent, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I have a mentor that he prayed for his country every day. He prayed for England, from which our country came every day, and he prayed for Jerusalem every day. Boy, those are great things to pray for. But praying for your city, it's a big deal. We live so, we're just over the, the border. Uh, we're in Clackamas County, but we're just less than a mile over the border from Multnomah County. And Multnomah County and everything that's there, I was talking to someone at a block party we had in our neighborhood Friday. And she said, I'm just so tired of this. I just, I just want to move. I just want to get out of here. And I said, don't you kind of feel, though, that even being where you're at is somewhat different than what you feel so negatively affected by? She says, I do. And I said, and yet it's our opportunity to pray for what's going on there. I think God's placed us in Oregon because he wants to use us in Oregon. I do. I do. I think God has placed us here 
because he's given us stuff for us to pray about, do, live, that makes a difference in people's lives. Number three, in vain you rise early and stay up late. Remember, we're on the ascension. Sleep is important as we're ascending with the Lord. Toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Another translation kind of takes this and says, he provides for us even when we sleep. My mom said to me when I was a young guy, I think my dad had passed away by this point. She says, Reese, if you want to make money, you've got to invest in things that grow even while you're sleeping. If you're only going to make money by you working and making it back, that's okay. But if you want to make real money, so to speak, stocks and bank accounts and real estate and things that continue to grow even when you're doing nothing, that makes a difference. I love this passage here that says, he provides for us even when we sleep. Sometimes the most faith-filled thing we can do is take a nap or go to sleep because it says, I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to turn it over to God. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I've got to keep going after. I've got to keep going. Oh, sometimes it's just good to back off and say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you and you're going to take care of it. You remember the story, Martin Luther. He's in his room. He hears this sound over here. He looks up, and the devil shows himself physically to Martin Luther. Martin Luther goes, ah, it's just you. Turns over and goes back to sleep. And that's the idea of the reality that we're able to sleep and trust God to work even when we sleep, because Psalm 21, another psalm of ascent, he never sleeps, and he watches over you. So here's the fill-in. Restful sleep is the, everyone say, gift of God. Restful sleep is the gift of God. My wife's very good on this. She has made our bedroom really helpful. She got those curtains Blackout curtains, no light. We move the TV out. We don't, we don't always do real well on this, but we try and stop our electronic stuff X number of minutes or an hour before we go to sleep. We've got the mattress that's just right. We've got all those nice padded pillows, right, that are just shaped for you, right? And then we have this thing that holds different blankets of different levels, so if it's not quite right, you can bring those in. We have... Uh, the air purifier that runs all the time. We've got everything we can. Did I miss anything? Okay. And the ceiling fan. That's right. We've got everything. Because sleep is a gift. Pastor Sam, I thought you were going to bring up the sermon I was teaching on Friday. And you're like, hey, Reese, what do you, you know, you're speaking Sunday here, so tell me what you're going on. We didn't get to that when we had breakfast. But because I knew you were going to do that, I stayed up late to get the sermon done. I was up till 1.30 Thursday morning before you and I met at 7.45 on Thursday night, Friday morning before we met for breakfast. So I was pretty ripped. But he never brought it up. And I even had my notes with me. I'm like, I'm ready. And uh, never came up. 
So I went to work, and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm working. You know how it is? Five and a half hours, you're like, that doesn't work. And I even know what I'm preaching on Sunday morning. It's worse. Gosh, gift. Sleep is a gift. You're not taking the gift. So I work through the day, and we come home and have dinner, and I get to bed, and I get a good eight hours sleep Friday night to Saturday morning. It was great. I got up yesterday morning, I got my orange juice, my wife had these muffins made, I went outside onto the deck, I have my muffins, I dropped an um, airborne into that orange juice that makes it even better and kind of get your vitamins, and I'm, I'm out there about 10 minutes like, I am really tired. <laughs> Sam, why didn't you bring that up? <laughs> I'm going back to bed. So I go back to bed, and I close my eyes, and it was like 8.15. And I opened my eyes, and it was 11.15. So doing the math, five and a half, with the time that Sam didn't bring up the notes, eight hours, tired, another three. So eight, three, 11, five and a half, 16 and a half, and I need about seven and a half, eight hours every night. I can't get away from it. My body needs it. Solomon knew we needed it. Sleep is a gift of God. It really is. It really is. And it, it's amazing how just the reality of a good night's sleep and or a good nap when you wake up, how perspective changes. Have you ever noticed that? You go to bed kind of frustrated or tough day or angry or kind of down on myself or I could have done that better. And then you wake up and it's almost like, and that, that's what they say. They say that your brain kind of refreshes itself and it's solving problems subconsciously that we didn't know what the answer is. And now we kind of know and, and it kind of and we dream, and the REM thing, and, and everything, you wake up, you're just better. Sleep is God's gift for you. And he's okay with the fact that a third of our time on earth is slept sleeping, is spent sleeping. I would encourage you that way to wrap it up in your mind as, man, I want this to be a gift in my life. Jesus Jesus is out on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. What happens? He's sleeping when what happens? Big storm. Big storm. Don't you care? We're going to die here. Peace. Be still. And they're like, wow. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Sometimes I think sleep allows the winds and the waves in our life to be calm and us to handle them like Jesus did because we sleep. So as you ascend in your walk with the Lord, let sleep be a gift for you. Then the last thing, sons are a heritage from the Lord Children are a reward 
from him. Solomon would know this because Solomon had a lot of children. We're blessed with kids. Kids are great. I think our society works really hard. And certainly it's the prince of darkness that works hard on trying to marginalize kids. Abortion, trans issues, child trafficking, child pornography, those are all his handiwork. And he's coming after our kids and our grandkids. When God would say children are a gift from him, they're a gift. I have never met a person that said, yeah, <clears throat> we had two kids and we had a third and I'm, we're sorry. I've never met a person like that. I've never met a person that said, yeah, we had three kids and we had a fourth kid and we're sorry we had a fourth kid. I've just never met them. Because sometimes it, it, somehow it seems that when a child is deposited into <clears throat> a family, excuse me, that their personality, their gifting, God's call on their life, adds something to the family that you can't think of what it would be like without that child. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I can't, I wasn't ready, I didn't think, but now they're here. And you know how it is. Lori, you know how it is. You have, uh, you have two kids. <clears throat> Lori does know how it is. You have two kids, and you're like, this is a lot of work. And then you have a third kid, and it's like, oldest, can you kind of watch number, th number one here? And you have a fourth kid, and you're like, is there another kid running around here somewhere that we didn't have before? And beyond that, it's just pairing them up, and so they take care of each other. Life's good. Kids are a reward from the Lord. He says, and this is, this is interesting how he phrases this. He says, they will not be put to shame, verse 5, when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The kids will not be put to shame what they can, when they contend with their enemies in the gate. The gate, the gate of the city where decisions are made, the place of authority. Those kids are not going to be put to shame when they contend with dark powers, their enemies in the authority in that area, in the authority of their city, in the dark powers that are coming against them. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the 23rd Psalm, what we teach our kids. I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer. So listen to this. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, the ascent, for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of... I will fear no, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they... That's what we teach our kids. We're teaching our kids, yeah, that he's going to be with you in evil. He's going to be with you in darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death. That's appropriate to teach our kids, because they're the ones that are aware of scared situations and dark situation and what's in the what's in, under my bed and what's in the closet and can you leave the door open and the light on? They're the ones that need to know God's with them all the time. Lord is, 
Our Father right in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from There it is again. Or as the passage says in the original, the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. That is mind-blowing to me that in God's economy, he's trying to give our children, who are a great gift from God, the sense that they're overcomers, even as little kids. And I know parents that have done that. And you do that, and it makes a difference. My grandmother was saved at like five. And she was in West Texas. And an evangelist from the church that was preaching there at that Assembly of God church came and was having dessert with them, I believe after church. And small farmhouse, so my grandmother was over in a room over here, not far from the kitchen, and the door was open. And she heard them talking about salvation. She heard them talking about God. She heard them talking about this. And she, she wanted in, but she's five. She's in bed. She's concerned. Am I right with God? And she heard this voice that said, there, there, little girl. Your sins are forgiven. Go to sleep. And that, that stayed with her. She died at 92. That stayed with her for 87 years. That when she was afraid if she was right with God and she didn't really know and the Holy Spirit just whispers to her your sins are forgiven go to sleep everything's okay man that just encourages me that God wants to minister into the lives of our kids and he wants them <clears throat> to raise up to be these formidable warriors of Jesus so that where they go they take authority. And the school classes they go to, they know what God's agenda is. And the, the playgrounds where they're at, they're looking for situations to do ministry as God opens the door. And I, I can't say that's all that clean, how it all works, etc. But I do remember that we were, Judy, do you remember this? We were pastoring down in Altadena. Uh, we were living in Pasadena. And Evan met this little kid and he asked this little, do you remember this story? Evan asked this little, this little one, right? Asked this little one, do you, know, do you know Jesus? And they're like, I don't know who Jesus is. And so Evan, and he, he was, uh, that was 91. So he was born in 83, seven, eight years old. Right, he was eight years old. He comes home and he says, hey, I made this friend out here. And uh, oh, that's great, Evan. And, and they didn't know about Jesus. So I told them about Jesus, and then I asked them if they want to pray and receive Jesus, and they said, yes. So they prayed and received Jesus. And there wasn't anything on our side of saying, Evan, do you know the four spiritual laws? Evan, do you know you need to help them understand they're guilty of sin? Do you need, you know, all of that? There wasn't any. It was just more natural that he met a friend, and by the grace of God, he introduced this friend to Christ. It's impressive to me what our kids can do. And so our kids are a heritage from the Lord, and we should, the fill-in, teach our children to contend with the enemy and the dark authorities they face. Amen.
The last thing there is Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8. I was watching a uh, video last night on the movie that's out, The Sound of Freedom, and what's there in this proverb is so significant to where that movie is coming from. 31.8, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for all the rights of those who are destitute. <clears throat> speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Can you pray with me? First of all, if you are sensing God whisper to you on something you're building and he's challenging you to build better or to use better materials than you've been building with, would you put your hand on your heart? Would you do that? God doesn't do that to condemn you. He doesn't do that to make you feel shame. He does it to convict you so that, and me, so that what we're building is going to pass through that fire and there's going to be a much greater reward and there's going to be a greater effect on the kingdom. Would you whisper to the Lord right there, hey, I'm, I'm hearing you, and Holy Spirit, would you help me to build with better materials? You just have a moment with the Lord there. Some of you struggling with sleep, sleep issues, needing better sleep than you're getting, needing quality sleep, needing more sleep. Could you stand if you're in that role again? I'm going to embarrass you, but do you feel like the Lord challenged me to pray that God would help with our sleep and heal some of us that sleep is hard? Yeah, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that, that, didn't, that doesn't surprise me because of the reality of just kind of how everything is. If you're next to a person that's standing, can you place your hand on them? Let's just get people up around the room, and we're going to pray for people with sleep. Yeah, everybody who's standing has somebody got a hand on them. That's great. Yeah. Lord, this life crashes down on us in so many ways and it starts so early and it, sometimes it goes way late and even in the midst of our sleep it's tough because we have concerns Lord we speak peace all of these people over all these people right here in Jesus name peace over their minds peace over their circumstances peace over their relationships peace over the financial things Peace over the politics. Peace over the fires. Lord, we speak peace, Lord, over the long weeks of work. In Jesus' name, those of you placing hands on, we just pray as God leads you. Let's pray as he leads you.
sleep for some of us the Lord's calling us to set the example of good sleep to our kids and our grandkids that the way we process at the end of the day and the way we process in the beginning of the day they're watching and they can learn from us having a pattern of good sleep Now, can you all stand with me? That'd be great. Pastor Sam, could you pop up here real quick? I'd love to pray for our kids or have you pray for our kids and our grands. It's such a crazy world out there and the pressure that's on. And uh, we'd love to agree with you just as you lead us that way. Thanks. Lord, we lift up households to you right now. God, I pray that your, your spirit with those parents that we it is hard it's hard to figure out how do we pass this over how do we set up structures without being overbearing how do i give freedom without being um complicit god i pray that you would give us wisdom in the moment how to move from spot to spot god would you help us be a good parent as you are a good parent Lord, I pray that the calling in our kids would be something that they couldn't ignore that you would make them have to confront it god that you would chase them down where they are Lord, I pray that it would be an anointing that goes into uh, the Sunday school classrooms right now. God, we lift up the hub on Wednesday night that the students who come to youth group would hear your calling on their life, that they would not be able to escape it, that they would feel something pursuing them, coming after their life to give it purpose, to give it life, to give it meaning, to give it joy. Lord, help us to be in every way as a household of faith and household of households that we could parent this next generation well and with the anointing of God we need you Lord every hour we need you and in parenting and in mentoring we need you Lord our, stu our students our kids they need you help us to be a perfect voice in such an imperfect time we thank you